We will be continuing along in Mark this morning. Mark chapter 3. Just three verses today, praise the Lord. Mark chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15. Last week, we had talked about the crowds that were gathering around Jesus. Now, we've seen that quite often already here just in these first three chapters of the book of Mark. And that's what we continue to see. Uh, the crowds in the verses we looked at last week, or week before last, excuse me, uh, were, were the crowds pushing into Jesus. And Jesus told the disciples to uh, go and get the boat ready uh, in case the crowds were, were coming in going to curse them. Now whether or not Jesus actually got on the boat and, and went to another area, I don't know. Uh, Mark never really for sure tells us that. We just know that he told uh, the disciples to get the boat ready. Although it's probably reasonable to think that eventually he got in the boat and they went on their way. This was something that Jesus did quite often in his ministry. You would see he and the disciples traveling by boat. That was probably the quickest means of transportation in those days. And so they would travel back and forth from place to place. And uh, that's what we probably, uh, probably is what happened last week uh, in the verses that we looked at. And so uh, we continue on from there this week in verse 13. Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. Then he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I thank you for these words, and I pray, God, that you would speak to us through your words. I pray that the Holy Spirit would... Uh, would, would, would bring up things in our heart that we need to hear, dear Lord, that there would be things in your word that are going to work on our lives. I pray that you would help us to examine the example of Jesus in Scripture and the example of the disciples and, and how he called them, dear Lord, and help us to see ways that you may be calling us. And so I pray that you hide me behind the cross and that you would be glorified in this place today as we, as we look at your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, typically, uh, when, we, when we think about the word apostle, we usually think about the 12 apostles, and rightfully so. Uh, when we look at the New Testament, the majority of the time when um, the apostles are mentioned, it's usually speaking of the 12. Now, sometimes uh, we may refer to these 12 as disciples, and there is a difference between the two. Uh, Every apostle is a disciple, and every Christian is a disciple, but not every, every Christian is an apostle, if that makes any sense. Uh, the apostles uh, were definitely, they had some abilities given to them by the Lord, and they were able to perform uh, many signs and wonders. They were able to heal people. They were able to cast out demons, as we see in this verse here. And so, as the early church was beginning to flourish after Jesus Christ had been crucified and resurrected, we see the apostles at the forefront uh, of carrying on the ministry. 
And what a beautiful and perfect design that was. Of course, it's perfect. God came up with the design. That is the design of there is one who was Jesus, who discipled, he poured into, he taught, he brought up, he led these 12 specifically. And when the time came that he was to leave, these that were left, the 11, because Judas was no longer with them, uh, plus other apostles that we see mentioned in the New Testament, continued on with the work that Jesus Christ had started. Now, it's important to realize what Jesus did when he picked these 12. These were 12 men that we're going to talk more about next week in the following verses that Jesus really poured a lot into. And so it was Jesus here in this verse that tells us that he named them apostles. And so these 12 had a significant task, and Jesus was well aware of that. Jesus knew that they were going to have a big job ahead of them once he was gone. Now, Jesus came and ministered, and in his ministry, he did much healing. There were many people who came to him. There were many people who followed him and became his disciples, that is, his followers. Now, when we say the word disciple, what we're simply saying there is Christian. To be a disciple is to be a Christian, and the Scripture even tells us that. It even tells us that in the book of Acts, that in Antioch is the first place that the followers of Jesus Christ became known as Christians instead of disciples. And so when you see the word disciple in Scripture or when you hear the word disciple used or hear the word Christian used, those words are interchangeable. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. Now, usually when we say the word disciple in Scripture, we may be thinking about the twelve, but there are many who are called disciples in the ministry of Jesus. There were many men and women who were following him. There were some who turned away from him because the teachings that he taught were hard. And so we tend maybe to think, or at least I did, uh, now not so much so, but, but used to when I read through the text, I would always think, boy, Jesus had a really hard ministry and, and people were always against him. And there were some people who were against him, but there were many who followed Jesus. There were many who heard the good news of the kingdom of God that had come near, and they did not miss the bus as it came near, so to speak. As the kingdom came near, that is, the king himself and Jesus Christ, there were many who entered that kingdom and became disciples. But there were a few, twelve here as we see in the text, that Jesus set apart, that Jesus spent time with, that Jesus poured himself into. Now, I believe that that is significant for us today. I believe that that's something that we should do too. We should uh, pour ourselves into other brothers and sisters in Christ. That is, once we uh, bring them the good news, we tell them about Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God comes near to them. Sometimes they enter that kingdom and sometimes they reject that kingdom or maybe eventually they will enter the kingdom. But for the ones that do enter the kingdom, for the ones that do accept the call, it is up to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we pour into other brothers and sisters in Christ. That we pour into them what God has taught us. Now, if you're in this room and you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you would probably say, I would venture most of you would say, that you know more than you did when you first became a Christian. Or maybe it would be better to put it this way, that you've grown in the Lord more. You are closer to the Lord now than you were when you first became a Christian. 
Maybe that's the case or maybe not. At the very least, you probably know more about God's Word than you did when you first became a Christian because after becoming a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we are to study to show ourselves to prove. We are to be in God's Word. We are to come together as a group and study. We're to study uh, on our own. We are to grow in God's Word. And as we grow, as we have life experiences, as we go through difficult circumstances and our faith in the Lord grows, then it builds us up. We learn. We gain wisdom. We learn from our foolishness. Now, for those of you who may have been walking with the Lord for years, hopefully you are a little more mature than you once were. And if we are even just a little more mature, for new Christians who are coming in to the kingdom of God, it is up, for us, up to us to impart that wisdom that we know, the truth that we know, uh, to, to build them up so that they can be faithful disciples. And that's exactly what Jesus did with these twelve. He called them in to follow him. He called them into the kingdom, and they came into the kingdom. Then Jesus proceeded to teach them. He proceeded to be very patient with them, as you will see if you read through the New Testament. Sometimes they didn't quite get it. But Jesus poured everything he, he had into them for three, three and a half years to prepare them for the task that he was calling them to. He was getting them ready to serve and that is what we as brothers and sisters in Christ should do today. When there are new believers who are coming in, who are becoming <laughs> disciples, I believe that it is important for us to pour into them, not just say, okay, you came down the aisle, so to speak, uh, you've accepted Jesus, now we're going to baptize you, and we come up to you and we hug you and say, welcome to the church. And many times that's the extent of our discipleship, sadly. We don't really make much effort. We say, well, come to Sunday school, and if they don't come to Sunday school, well, we try. We try to disciple them. But, but there really needs to be, uh, needs to be more uh, of an effort of us trying to pour into people and impart to people the wisdom that we ourselves have obtained in Jesus Christ. Now, that wasn't even supposed to be part of the sermon. That's free, so that's on, that's on the house there. All right, so let's get back to the, to the topic at hand. Uh, verse 13 says, Then he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. Now, there is a, another passage that is very similar to this in Luke chapter 6. Now, it's probably the same event that is taking place. Although the details vary slightly, uh, it is still seems likely to me that this is probably the same event, although it may not be. Jesus, for three and a half years, did many different things, and it's possible that some of the things he did were very similar to something he had already did. Uh, he probably preached some of the same things multiple times. That's not uncommon. We see preachers do that today. Sometimes there is a message that the Lord puts on my heart or on other preachers' hearts, and we may preach it here, but it's not just a one-time thing, oh, I can't preach that again because I've already preached it. There may, may be another person or another group that needs to hear the same message. And so uh, it's not uncommon for preachers in the world today to repeat the same truth message twice. Uh, and it would not have been uncommon for Jesus to do the same thing. There are some stories we see in Scripture that may be very similar with, with some slightly different details. It could be that it's the same event and a different writer covers different details on what he knew or what he had seen or what he had heard. Or it could be that it's two separate events that are very similar. Now, in the case of Luke chapter 6, 
Jesus, it says that he goes up on the mountain and prays all night. And then he summons those to come to him. Now, it could be that Mark is just, just leaving out that detail. It would not be surprising. We've seen that with Mark's writing so far. Or, as you may have noticed, Mark just kind of hits the high points. He doesn't hit every single detail. And so he's just kind of hitting the high points. Uh, but it is likely, at least in my opinion, that, that Luke chapter 6 and, and Mark chapter 3 here uh, cover the same materials. And that is Jesus summoning or calling those who he wanted to come up the mountain. Now, Jesus very likely would have been praying on the mountain. That's something that we see in his ministry. Uh, so Luke's account, whether it's the same or different, uh, his details, even though they may differ slightly, are not out of the characteristic of what Jesus would have done at all. Jesus would have uh, gone to pray many times. And so here we see in Mark that he went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. Now, I don't know how many went up on the mountain with him. I don't know how many he wanted. Perhaps he just wanted the twelve. Maybe those are the only ones that went on the mountain. Maybe the, the crowds were there and they were pressing in. Uh, perhaps Jesus got into the boat and went somewhere else and this was a different mountain. Perhaps it was the same area or, or close to the area where he was just out where the crowds were pressing into him. And, and there were other people who were there that were wanting to see him. But Jesus didn't sum, uh, summon everybody. He didn't call everyone to come up to the mountain. He only summoned some or called some to come up to the mountain. It could have been more than this twelve, or it could have been simply the twelve. He also appointed twelve. He also named them apostles. Now, the fact that he uh, appointed twelve, that, that wording there leads me to believe that maybe there were others who were there. But it was the twelve among that group that he had summoned that was on the mountain that he had appointed that he was calling for a specific task. Now, whether there were just the twelve or whether there were other disciples who were there is really irrelevant. Uh, but the point being is that whoever was there, it was only these twelve that Jesus was going to appoint uh, to do this work. So he had called them, he had summoned them to come with him, to come to him. And then upon them coming to him, he appointed some to a specific task, to a specific calling. It goes on to say, he also appointed twelve, he also named them apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, we see three things here that an apostle is called to do. Now, before we get into those three things, we, we, we need to discuss just a moment, I think it's beneficial for us as we talk about apostles, to talk about the office, if we can call it that, of apostleship in the New Testament. Now, there are a couple of occasions in which Paul tells us that there are some who are called to be apostles. One of those is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, if you would like to go read that. There are other occasions, too, I believe, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, but don't hold me to that. But there are a couple of occasions where Paul says, look, there are some who are called to be apostles. Now, he could simply be referring to just the twelve, saying, look, there were some who were called and they've already been called, but that seems very unlikely since Paul himself in Acts chapter 14, verse 14, is called an apostle, as well as Barnabas is called an apostle. Now, 
if there were some that Paul lists who were called to be apostles, along with many other things that Paul says, some have the gift of healing, some are able to teach, some are this, some are that, there are many things that Paul addresses in his writings that people uh, have the ability to do, and one of those things is the calling of being an apostle. Now, there were the twelve, that's for sure. Now, Judas, after betraying Jesus Christ, killed himself, which left there being eleven. Now, the apostles at the beginning of Acts decided to find a replacement for Judas, and they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, who is named as an apostle. So there's 13, 14, 15, if you count Barnabas and Paul, but yet there are others in the New Testament that are referred to as apostles. Now, when we talk about apostles, the word apostle in the Greek simply means to be sent out. Now, that's exactly what we see Jesus uh, getting ready to do uh, with the apostles uh, that are following him. And we see that in Luke chapter 9. Uh, we see uh, not the 12, but 70 others who were sent out in Luke chapter 10. And so this idea of sending people out, the same Greek word, uh, apostolos, is used in, in several different uh, occasions throughout the New Testament. Now, that's pretty close to our English word, which is why we say uh, apostle. It's very close to apostolos. But the word simply means to send out. Now, there are others who are referred to uh, as apostolos, those who are sent out. One is Epaphroditus, we see in the book of Ephesians, uh, that Paul is talking about Epaphroditus and that he had helped him and he is sending him back, that is Epaphroditus, to the people. Uh, there are others who are referred to uh, with the same language in the New Testament. Now, some of the translations may not call them apostles. They may say the word messenger. Uh, now, why the translators choose the word messenger there instead of apostle, uh, I'm not sure. Some translations, at least one, Young's literal translation, uses the word apostle in those occasions. But some translations use the word messenger. But the core word there to describe these people, like Epaphroditus, is the same word to describe the 12 that's being talked about here. The same word is being used. Now, I won't go through every single instance of who is called an apostle in the New Testament, but at most, if you go through and you count, and you look at the Greek, and you look at the wording that's used, at most, we could come up with up to 25 people in the New Testament that could be apostles. Now, a couple of those references are kind of iffy. It's kind of hard for, for me, at least, and, 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 and for other scholars, too, maybe, to not, well, I'm not a scholar, but for, for others who are way smarter than me to figure out, too, exactly, uh, well, are these apostles or not? But there are some, apart from the 12, that are specifically, we know, called apostles. Epaphroditus being one. Uh, uh, there are a couple of more in, in Romans that are mentioned. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are mentioned. And so there were definitely more apostles in the New Testament than the 12 that were mentioned here. Now, if we really wanted to, uh, to dig in even deeper and say that there were more, uh, and the passage in Luke chapter 10 where it says Jesus sent out the 70 or 72 depending on your translation. That's another topic for another day. Uh, but, but after Jesus sent out the 12, specifically in Luke chapter 9, then in Luke chapter 10, he sends out 70 others. And it doesn't call them apostles, at least not in our Bibles, in the English, but guess what? The word that's used there, it says that he sent out uh, was apostolion, the same word. So at most, I, my count could be off. I'm not... I'm not 
I'm not implying that, that this is perfect. But at most what I can find, if we even include the 70, would be 95 people who could be apostles in the New Testament. So there were, there were, there were more than just the 12, uh, to say the least. Uh, now, you may say, well, wow, that's a lot of apostles. But, but it's really not a lot of apostles because there were thousands, if you read in the book of Acts, who were coming uh, to Jesus uh, on a regular basis. They were hearing the word. They were hearing the gospel. They were accepting Jesus Christ. And people were, were flourishing to Christianity uh, by the thousands. So the fact that we come up with a possible 92 who would have been qualified or called to be apostles in the New Testament uh, is a very slim number. It's a very small percentage. There were not many who would have had this calling, who would have had this gifting, who would have had this ability. And the apostles that we see in Scripture did have special gifts and abilities. Uh, they were able to preach. We see that in the book of Acts. Now, I say the book of Acts a lot because that's where we really see the apostles beginning to take the reins after Jesus Christ had left and they had received the Holy Spirit. Uh, there were... Uh, there were many things that we see the apostles do. Uh, we see uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 uh, heal a man who was lame, who couldn't walk. We begin to see that the apostles have the same <coughs> excuse me, abilities that Jesus had because the Holy Spirit was within them. And so they were empowered by Jesus Christ, by His death, by His resurrection, by the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And they could make the lame walk. They could heal the sick. They could cast out demons. They were uh, definitely able preachers because uh, we see Peter preach at the beginning of Acts and there are 3,000 that are saved just in one event. This probably happened a lot. There were probably many, many thousands in the first few years of Christianity after Jesus Christ was resurrected uh, who, who heard the preaching of the apostles. The apostles were in a position uh, of leadership, of authority. In Acts chapter 15, when a dispute is breaking out between the Pharisees uh, over how the Gentiles should be living, in particular, whether they should be circumcised, it is Paul and Barnabas who goes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders there. And so the apostles were respected. They were looked up to because... Uh, at least the twelve had walked with Jesus. They had special gifting. They had special abilities. They had powers, if we can call them that, uh, that, that, that God had given them to use for His glory. And they had those powers that were mentioned right here in the passage today. Uh, he sent them uh, to uh, preach and have authority over demons and also uh, to heal. We see that uh, quite frequently uh, throughout the apostles. And so there were a few apostles in the New Testament at least. Now, when it comes to apostleship today, are there still apostles today? Well, that's a good question. And I'll be honest with you, I'm still working through that, trying to decide... Is the office of apostleship still an office in the church today? Now, Paul lists many things that, that people can do, and I believe that those things that Paul lists are still in effect today. And so it would seem to be that, that maybe there are some today who are called apostles or who really are apostles, uh, but I'm not quite sure how one becomes an apostle nowadays. Perhaps it's just something that God bestows on someone. Perhaps the office of apostleship as we see it in the Old Testament is not uh, around today. 
Uh, now, if we were to say that there needs to be qualifications to be an apostle, that is the qualifications that we see the apostles in the Old Testament possessing, that is they are able preachers, they are able to cast out demons, uh, they are able to heal, uh, all of those type of things that we see uh, the, 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 the New Testament apostles doing, if those are the qualifications for being an apostle, those are the traits that uh, should be exhibited, then I would say I don't know that I've ever seen an apostle in my life. I'm not implying that they're not out there just because I haven't seen them. Or maybe I have seen apostles and have not known that they are apostles. Now, I realize that there are many in this world today who would call themselves an apostle, uh, but I'm not sure, quite, quite sure, at least at this point, how to qualify that because I have not seen any who have been able to do all of these things. Now, there are those who have the gift of healing, Paul tells us. There are those who have the ability to preach and teach, Paul tells us that. Uh, there are, uh, I believe that Christians have the authority in Jesus Christ by the power in Him, by being covered by His blood. I believe that we have the power over demons, even, as the apostles did. But to find uh, one person who possesses all of these things, I don't know that I have ever met such a person, uh, but perhaps I, I have and do not know, and, and perhaps the office of apostleship may not look the same today as it did then. Uh, so if, if you ask me the question, does the office, it, 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 is, are there still apostles today in the way that there were in the, Old, in the New Testament? Uh, I would have to say I'm undecided on that. I'm still trying to work through that. Uh, but what we see in this text is some spe specific things uh, that, are, that are listed of an apostle. And if there are apostles today, then I believe that they would have these same types of abilities and giftings uh, that God uh, has given them as he did then. I believe that God would still uh, give those same type of uh, giftings today. And so uh, we see here these things that are listed uh, that an apostle can do, but we also see, as Paul said, that there are other Christians who may be gifted in these ways. Now, let's get back to the text. He also named them apostles to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, uh, let's focus on these three things for a moment. Now, I believe it, at the core... I don't believe it's unreasonable for us to look at these qualifications of what Jesus called of the apostles and say that in some way these things don't apply to all followers of Jesus Christ. After all, I do believe that Jesus Christ sends us all out. Well, let's go back. I'll skip one. Uh, first, it says that uh, he, um, he also named them apostles to be with him. So the first thing that they were to do is they were to come to him. They were to be with him. Now that's exactly what Jesus Christ does to us. Now here at the beginning, Jesus summoned these people to come up on the mountain. He called them to come to him, and they did come to him to be with him. Now that's no different from what Jesus is doing for each and every person in this room today. If you do not know, I want to tell you, Jesus is calling you to come to him. Jesus wants to be your Savior. Jesus is summoning you. You say, well, I don't hear him summoning me. Well, read your Bible. Jesus is calling you all throughout the words of the text. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, look, there's no way to the Father except through me. Jesus said, look, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. These are all examples... I believe, of Jesus calling us 
of him uh, uh, summoning us, saying, I want you to come to me. I want you to follow me. I want you to turn from your sins. I want you to give up things of the world. That's what we saw uh, one man uh, come to Jesus and say, look, I want to follow you. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, sell all your possessions and come to me. And the man went away. He didn't follow Jesus because he wasn't ready to listen to Jesus' summoning, to his calling. Uh, there was another man that said, all right, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, all right, come on. And the man said, hold up, let me, go, let me go bury my father right quick. Jesus said, look, you can't look back. You're either going to follow me or you're not. Now, we won't break that text down. But the point being is that we see plenty of examples of Jesus calling people, of people hearing the gospel, of people hearing the good news, hearing about the kingdom of God, and following Jesus, and coming to Jesus, and being with Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling you to today. Jesus wants you to know that the kingdom of God has come near. That's the only kingdom that's going to stand. The kingdom of the United States of America, or the kingdom of China, or the kingdom of Russia, or the kingdom of England, or any kingdom that this world has set up will not stand. But the kingdom of God, praise the Lord, has come near to us. A king has come to us. A king has given his life on a cross for us. That is Jesus Christ. So that we could be part of that kingdom. And Jesus has summoned us into that kingdom. He started his ministry in Mark, if you remember, by saying, Look, the kingdom of God is at hand. It has come near. And that, that, that call, that, that, that knowledge, that, that showing and telling and inviting you into that kingdom uh, is, still, is still here today. That, that calling is still what Jesus is calling us to today. And if you've never entered into the kingdom of God, then you need to be in God's Word. You need to hear that Jesus is calling you, that Jesus desires to be your Savior, that Jesus desires to take your burden, and most importantly, Jesus desires to forgive you of your sins. But the only way that that occurs is for us to hear Jesus and His words, to hear His calling on our life, and to come to Him to be where He is, to be with Him. Now, for some of you, you may have already answered that calling. You may have heard Jesus calling. You may have seen Jesus summoning you in the text and said, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to accept who you are. There may be others of you who are like those two examples that I just mentioned, who say, boy, I want to follow you, Jesus, but the cost is high. Now, we don't usually like to think of that, or maybe we don't think of that, that the cost of following Jesus is high. But look at the text. It is. When we follow Jesus, it's calling us to, 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 to fully submit to Him, to make Him the Lord of our life, to make Him more important than any other person or any other thing in our life. And for some in Scripture, that was a price that was too high to pay. And for some in this room, it may be a price that's been more than you want to pay. There may be some in this room that Jesus Christ has called you and you know He's calling. You see it in the text. You hear it in sermons. You hear it in your Sunday school. You hear it on the radio. You, you hear the words of Jesus Christ preached and you know He's calling you, but in your mind the cost is too high. Because there's something that you don't want to give up. There's something else that you want to do in this world. There's something else that you're saying, Well, Jesus, I want to follow you, but only after I do this. But what is there in this world that is more important than Jesus? What is there in this world? What are you waiting on? 
What is the thing you're waiting on that's going to, to be better than coming to Jesus Christ right now? What is the thing that you're holding on to that you're saying, boy, I, I sure want to follow Jesus, but this is better than Jesus. I can tell you there's nothing that's better than Jesus or more important than Jesus. Now, our worldly desires and temptations may be to hold on to those things, but they should never come at the cost of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says the cost is great. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and carry it and follow me. Now, these are not easy things to do. Being a Christian oftentimes is not easy. Being a Christian is not simply coming down an aisle and being baptized. Being a Christian is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and living for Him every day of your life. To be obedient to Him, to seek to serve Him, to seek to flee from sin and to run to Him. That is what being a Christian is, to serve Jesus Christ. That's what all of eternity will be, us serving Jesus Christ, us praising Jesus Christ. That is what we are to look forward to. But so many times, for so many people, Christianity is nothing more than I'm walking the aisle, I'm getting dunked, and then I'm going to be in heaven where everything will be perfect and I'll have a mansion. But that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is humble and faithful service and obedience to Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is. And when we make it something else, we miss it. When, it's, when, we're, when we're thinking we're saved because of something we've done, being dunked in the water, so to speak, we've missed it. We're not saved by walking in aisle or being dunked in water. We are saved by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And you can do that here at a church, or you can do that driving in your car, or you can do that at your job. The moment that you in your heart accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are saved in that moment. You have come to Him. You have received His calling. If you have not come to Him and received His calling today, then what's keeping you? He's summoning you. What's more important than Him? What's keeping you from coming to Him? Is it the cost? Yes, it's a high cost, but boy, what a great reward it is. What a great Savior we have who's given His life for us. And He's given His life so that He can call you today and you can know that He has died so that your sins can be forgiven. He summoned the twelve and any others that may have been there that He summoned. He summoned them to come to Him and they came to Him to be with Him. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. If you've never accepted Him, He's calling you to that today. If you have accepted Him, maybe you have, you have gone with Him up the mountain, but you're not with Him. He, he wanted them to come to the mountain, but He wanted them to be with Him. He wanted them to, uh, to, to focus on Him, to listen to Him, to trust Him, to follow Him. And as Christians, maybe you need a reminder today that, look, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is not good, then you need to be pressed into Jesus, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We need to be pressing into Jesus so that He can make an impression on us. And guess what? When you press into Jesus, He will make an impression on you. Because when we press into Jesus with our problems and our struggles and our sickness and our pain, and we reach out and we say, Jesus, I see you. I'm coming to you. I'm pressing into you. When we press into Jesus, it leaves an impression, not on us on the outward sense, but on our spirit. And that impression is a good impression on others. And when they see us, they don't see us. They see Jesus in us. But we only get to that point, brothers and sisters in Christ, by pressing into Jesus. 
We don't get to that point by walking an aisle and saying, I'm saved, I'm done, and reading our Bible once every three or four months, coming to church every once in a while. That's not how we press into Jesus. That's not how we grow in Jesus. We grow in Jesus by seeking Him, by calling out to Him, by reading His words, by trusting Him, by being obedient to His example. That's how our lives are transformed. That's how Jesus makes an impression on our life. And if we're not pressing into Jesus, then Jesus is not changing our life. And that's what Jesus desires to do, for us to come to Him and to be with Him and to grow with Him. Now that was Jesus' call and command of the twelve. And I believe that that's His call to us today. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that that's the call for every Christian today, for every disciple of Jesus Christ. Whether we uh, hold the office of apostleship or not in the way that maybe we see it in the New Testament, I don't know. But I do believe that these, that these words of Christ we see throughout the New Testament are calling us to this very thing. That is to listen to His call, to come to Him, to grow in Him, and to be used by Him to be served by Him, or to serve Him, excuse me. Now, uh, to be with them, uh, what was the second thing? To send them out to preach. Now, in the case of the apostles, he was sending them out for a specific task, and that specific task was so that they could preach. Now, not everybody is called to preach. Now, in the case of the apostles, they were. Now, I believe that when we talk about disciples, when we talk about Christians, I believe that, that God sends us all out, maybe not all out to preach behind a pulpit, so to speak, but I do believe that, that Jesus does send us out. I believe that every time we leave our house, we are being sent out. That everywhere that God puts us, everywhere that we are, is where God has sent us. We have ended up where God wants us to be for His purpose. Now, we may not all have the ability to preach and teach. Paul says not everybody has these same abilities. We know that's true. But we are being sent out. There are ways that we can, we can show the love of Christ to the world. We don't have to preach a sermon. It may simply be just showing someone love. It may just simply be telling someone an encouraging word. It may just be that you end up in a place where someone is going through a horrible circumstance, and of all people that are there, you're there. Well, that's not by coincidence, I don't believe. If you're a brother and sister in Christ and you are there, I believe that God has put you there for a purpose. He has sent you there, so to speak, to do His work. Now, the apostles were sent to preach, and I believe that God sends all of us to where we are and where we need to be to be a light for Him to the world. Now, how He wants you to be a light to the world, well, just pray to Him. Ask Him. Ask Him to show you opportunities. Ask Him to show you ways. Ask Him to recall scriptures to your mind, maybe that you didn't even know you remembered. But in that moment, in that time, when you're in that situation with that person, and they're telling you about something that's going on, and all of a sudden you say, Oh, I remember when Jesus said this about this thing. And there are all these ways and all these things I believe the Holy Spirit does and puts in our heart and reminds us of, so that when we are wherever we are have been sent to, God can use us to do the work. And that's exactly what he did with the apostles. He sent them here for a specific task. And, and you may not hear God calling you by an audible voice uh, to do a specific, specific task, although you may, if you pray, you may hear God put on your heart something he wants you to do. Uh, but but, but wh wherever you are, wherever you end up, whether it's at your house or at your work or at your church or in the grocery store, there may be an opportunity that God presents to you uh, to be able to be a light for Him. He may have sent you there unbeknownst to you. 
You may not have known that God was sending you there at just the right place, at just the right time, to say just the right thing and show just the right amount of love to a person who needs it. And I believe that the calling to be sent out is something that is to all Christians, not just the apostles. Maybe the specifics are a little different, but the calling is the same. The third is the uh, ability to have authority to drive out demons. Now, that's a difficult one today. Uh, The Scripture says that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Now, he who is in us is the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, Jesus Christ is greater than Satan. Jesus Christ has already defeated Satan by his blood on the cross. And for whatever reason, in God's plan, God sees fit to allow Satan to have some some reign in this world, at least for the time being, uh, that there is some demonic influence. But, but with that being said, even though that we may see or encounter these types of things in the world, we can know that Jesus, who is in us, the Holy Spirit who is in us, is greater than what we may encounter. Now, I'm not implying or, or, or even insinuating or advising that we get up out of this room saying, all right, I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm fixing to go find somebody demon-possessed, and I'm fixing to do what's what. I don't think we should go in looking for demons to fight, looking for demons to cast out, but there may be times in our life where we may encounter situations where we feel as though we are under spiritual attack, so to speak. Because we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but our battle is a spiritual battle, the Scripture tells us. And perhaps there are times in life where we are attacked by demons, by these thoughts that come into our mind, these evil thoughts, these evil temptations, these evil desires. And those things come from the enemy. They come from the devil. But guess what? He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Now, while the, 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 the calling here in the context, I believe, is of the apostles going out and, and they are going to see, they are going to encounter men and women who are demon-possessed uh, in the same way that we see during Jesus' ministry, as Jesus cast out those demons, he had power over them, uh, so do the apostles have power over the enemy, and so do, to some extent, you and I. Now, we may not be going around doing exorcisms in the same way that, uh, that the apostles were, and that is casting out demons, uh, but we do have power that is in Jesus Christ. It is a great power if we have come to Him and if we have trusted in Him. And there is a, a passage, uh, Acts chapter 16 maybe, I'm not sure. There's a group of guys uh, who are calling. They're Jewish guys, but they're obviously not Christians. They are, they are calling on the name of Jesus uh, to go up against some demons they are encountering. And the demer, demons respond. The demons don't flee. The demons instead say, look, you're calling on Jesus. You're calling on Paul that's preached Jesus. The demon said, we know of Paul and we know of this Jesus, but who are you? We don't know you. And the demons in turn attack the men. Now, they were calling on the name of Jesus, but it was of no power to them because they did not possess Jesus Christ. And the demons were wise enough to know that. But when we are genuinely, truly following Jesus Christ, you may see that story and say, whoa. But when we are truly following Jesus Christ, we are greater than those who come against us, not by our own powers, but by the very power and blood of Jesus Christ. And we only overcome our sin. We only overcome those attacks of evil in our life 
not just simply by saying the name of Jesus, because if we simply say the name of Jesus without possessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, uh, then it is of no benefit to us. Well, maybe it is. There is power in the name of Jesus. I won't say that it is of no benefit, but at least in that one instance, uh, those demons were not afraid of those people because those Jewish men did not possess Jesus Christ. But Jesus is summoning and calling you to, to possess Him. He's calling you to be His. He's calling you to come to Him, to press into Him, to grow in Him, to, to, to be discipled by Him and His Word and His example so that you can go and make an impression on others so that you can disciple them, so that you can be sent out just as these apostles were sent out to do His work, knowing that you will encounter opposition, that there will be people who will come against you, that there will be forces of evil that will come against you, but no matter what comes against you, Jesus Christ, Christ is greater than all of those things. And Jesus is summoning you today. Jesus has called you today. Jesus wants you to follow Him. Jesus wants you to be His disciple. He wants you to come to Him and to grow in Him and to have His power and to experience His blessings and to experience His forgiveness. Now, I don't know everybody's heart. I hope everybody in this place has already trusted in Jesus Christ, but there may be some of you today that have not come to Him. There may be some of you today that are making excuses that have reasons why you are not willing to come. That you're going to do it one day. I'm going to do it one day. God, i got to finish this first, but then I'm going to come. But one day may never come. Today is the only day you're guaranteed, and you're not even guaranteed to make it all the way through this day. We need to seek the Lord while He may be found. And today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that Jesus Christ is summoning you. And if you don't accept that invitation today, will you have an opportunity tomorrow? Jesus called the twelve and Jesus is calling each one in this room today to come to Him, to follow Him, to, to humble themselves before Him, and to be sent out to do His work. And what a marvelous, wonderful calling that is. And if you've never accepted that calling... I, I, I ask you today, pray to the Lord. Ask Him. If you feel Him calling you and summoning you to come and be His, then today ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and come into your heart. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words, and I pray that you would help us to, uh, to learn from them. God, I know these words are talking about being apostles, and whether there are apostles today, dear Lord, in the same way, I don't know. But God, I think these things that you call them to are the same things you call us to. And God, just as you summoned them to follow you, God, I believe that you summoned each one in this room and each one in this world to follow you. And God, maybe there are some who have, who have already uh, accepted that call. They have already come to you. They have already accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and asked for forgiveness of their sins, and it has been covered by His precious blood. But God, maybe there are others in this room, and they've just been, they just been faking it. Maybe they've been fooling themselves, dear Lord. Maybe to them Christianity was walking an aisle and getting baptized, but they never accepted Jesus, dear Lord. They never became a disciple. And God, I pray that if there's any in this room that they wouldn't fall into that trap of being deceived, that they wouldn't think that there's something they're not, that they wouldn't place their hope in some water and a baptism in Liberty Baptist Church, I mean Enterprise Baptist Church, but God, I pray that they would put their hope in Jesus Christ because that is how we are saved. That is how we are forgiven. That's how our lives are changed and renewed. And so, God, I pray that if there's one in this room that has not accepted the, the, the calling of Jesus Christ, that has not been cleansed by His blood, that today, dear Lord, that they would come to Jesus Christ and that they would accept Him and that they would be with Him and follow Him and that they would grow in Him and that they would live for Him. 
And God, I pray that same prayer for anybody in this room that is a brother and sister in Christ. God, maybe we have become your disciple, but maybe we're not living for you the way we should. I pray that today that we would do that, that we would be ready to be used by you, to be sent out by you wherever we go, every day of our life, dear Lord, that we know that you're with us, whatever we encounter, that we know we can overcome what the world throws at us, and God, you have called us to be a light to the world. The way that the world is reached, dear Lord, is through your followers, through your disciples. So help us, God, to be faithful, to be good disciples for you today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.